When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, my thanks to John Paul for sitting in for me yesterday while I had a bit of a long weekend. But he's back answering your calls today at 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps also available at 0862 103 103. And of course, winter weather conditions truly on their way. Temperatures across this week set to plummet to as low as minus six degrees. And I know John Paul yesterday had Alan Riley on from Carlo uh, weather and uh, Alan very much backing up with Met Aaron are forecasting that temperatures will drop well below freezing. Now they've issued this winter weather advisory for Ireland and it will be valid until half 11 on Saturday night. It's going to be very cold this week and it's this Arctic air mass which is settling in and it's bringing sharp to severe frosts and icy stretches on roads and the really bitter conditions are set to take hold from tomorrow night. It's from Wednesday night on. The Met Aaron say that we will get into the more significantly cold weather. And then Thursday night, temperatures inland could go to minus five, even minus six degrees. And then that cold weather is expected to stay with us across the weekend and possibly into the early days of next week. Daytime temperatures, for example, will be very low, two to five degrees at very best. So it's a bitterly, bitterly cold uh, week and people now are being urged to please keep an eye on older and vulnerable family members and neighbours. Age Action, for example, are saying this morning that older people, many of them are worried about fuel bills and they may be afraid to turn on their heating because they're concerned about the costs that will be associated with it. Uh, So Age Action are saying people should make sure that that they're getting all of their social welfare payments, which will help to offset some of the heating costs and also urging them to apply for additional payment uh, through their social welfare office if they need more help but please keep the heating uh, keep yourself warm and keep the heating on uh, where you can and then I was reading about all of us as consumers uh, are being urged to weatherproof our homes and to try to adopt strategies that will conserve heat especially ahead of this bitterly cold snap board goss for example are saying that there are simple things we can all do to make our homes what they are calling weatherproof and they give some uh, examples that they say it's really worth the effort to repair dripping taps for example because even a trickle of water can freeze and we know what that can lead to blocked pipes and the last thing you need is a burst pipe home owners are advised 
to find and seal leaks as cold air can leak into your home, even through the smallest of cracks and gaps in windows and doorways. Much of the heat loss, of course, in my house is through the windows and particularly if they're only singly glazed. Now, I don't know how many people can afford to go out and get triple glazing uh, at the moment with the current cost of living. But, you know, obviously that is the way to go. And when you seal leaks, your homes then obviously they retain more warm air knock on effect if that is you lose you use less energy for heating that way you save money and of course at the same time you're going to make your home warmer now the sustainable energy authority of ireland they're recommending householders close doors between rooms that are heated and unheated and that helps to keep the heat in a chimney balloon which by all accounts are not that expensive that can keep out drafts while sustainable energy authority are also advising closing the curtains that keeps the heat in but they do say you should open the curtains in the morning because obviously that's going to leave in any morning sun and any of that sun coming in will heat up a room. Their uh, advice states that householders should set, set the heating to come on 30 minutes before you get up in the morning and then go off 30 minutes before you leave the house in the evening set for 30 minutes before you're due home and then you switch it off 30 minutes before you go to bed where possible it's advised to lower the thermostat 20 degrees is now what they are recommending that's the ideal temperature for the living areas of a home even though experts do accept that younger children and older people may require slightly higher temperatures but if you lower your thermostat and we've been hearing about this for years they say if we lower our thermostat by just one degree whatever it's set at the moment go down even one degree it can knock as much as 10 percent off your heating bill and with heating bills going so high 10% is going to be a large chunk of money. Sustainable Energy Authority also advise against overheating unused rooms and use the radiator valve to turn the temperature down are often rooms that are not in use. Then if you're leaving the house unoccupied, particularly for an extended period, you know, maybe you're going to visit family and friends over Christmas, then set a timer and thermostats to allow for a low level of heating each day. And obviously that's going to help to reduce the risk of frozen, damaged and burst pipes. And that's the last thing you're going to want to come back to after being away for a little little spell over Christmas. And of course, the saving tips that most people I think are aware of Sustainable Energy Ireland are also talking about and that's the the energy that's used by dishwashers and washing machines and most of the energy that's used when you switch on a dishwasher or switch on a washing machine is actually the heating up of the water it's not the length of time that the washing machine or the dishwasher it's on for it's the initial heating up of the water so if you can run your dishwasher and your washing machine at a lower temperature setting knock on is you're going to save on your energy costs and then around the fridge the advice is keep your fridge temperature at between two and three degrees that's for best performance and the freezer should be set at minus 15 degrees i have to say i haven't got a clue what my freezer is set or even my fridge is uh, set at i don't wouldn't even know where and there's a little button on the top but i have no idea what, what it is set at but i do know one of the tips that we're constantly hearing about is not leaving the fridge or the freezer door open because the amount of energy it uses then to get the fridge to go back to the cold setting or the freezer back to minus 15 degrees so if you're opening and closing the freezer uh, the fridge and freezer doors 
open it and close it as quickly as you can. And of course, people may have started to notice the electricity bills are in for October and November. They are now starting to arrive and of course include it and make sure it's included on your domestic electricity bill. The 200 euro government electricity credit that should come off and hopefully that is going to take the sting out of a lot of the bills that are starting to arrive. But of course, the biggest bill for, I think, majority of householders will be the next one, will be the December, January one. But of course, again, the government will be giving another €200 Euro off the December, January one. And then there's a further 200 to be given off the February, March one. But those October, November bills are now starting to arrive. Now, there's been a call on the Taoiseach to stem the tide of closures in nursing homes. Operators across the country have written to Micheál Martin calling for more funding to tackle the cost crisis. Tyke Daly is the Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland and Tyke joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Tyke. Good morning, Patricia. Good and, to speak with you. And great to speak with you. And I, and I spotted in all of the papers today, uh, you, you really are trying to get your message across on this one. There's full one-page ads with that letter to the, the Taoiseach. So I suppose start by how many nursing homes have closed this year and how many beds would that have equated to and how many jobs would have been lost? Yeah, well, I mean, as we speak, there's 17 have actually closed uh, I've spoken with one other last week who, who has um, written to HICWA outlining it and I've spoken to two or three others in the last number of weeks who are actively contemplating it. But as we speak today to, to answer your direct question, 17 homes, 489 residents have lost their homes, over 600 people have lost their jobs and communities have lost a healthcare setting which has been embedded in many of those communities for a long number of years. So we've taken a very unprecedented step, if you like, of an open letter to the Taoiseach, because we've had very good engagement all through the year with Minister Butler, you've heard me say that before, um, and with the, I suppose, political establishment. But we are concerned that either they're not hearing or they don't understand the the urgency uh, of the crisis that we now find ourselves in. And it's a crisis today, but if we don't act, uh, my fear is that in a couple of months' time, uh, and most definitely in a couple of years' time, we'll be in a, a much, much more difficult position despite the fact that we have an ageing population. Is it a very difficult decision for an owner of a nursing home to decide to close? Oh, it's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, I've spoken with many of them over the last number of months. A number of them have, have done media uh, on it. But it really is heartbreaking. I mean, the one that struck me was there was a lady up in Athlone, uh, Stella Maris Nursing Home. Her parents built it. Um, they live on the third floor over the, over the building. All the family were raised in, in the nursing home, uh, worked there, uh, unpaid, I presume, in the early years, you know, being friendly with residents, uh, and, and worked there in latter years in as, as employees. So, I mean, to listen to, to Anya and Claire, two sisters, on that particular case, it, you know, it really is heartbreaking. And we could talk figures all day long. We can talk about the one billion in fair deal and the 26,000 residents, but this is people's homes ultimately. And to hear Anya and Claire talk about uh, that difficult decision, you know, it, it does bring it home to you. Um, so, yeah, really, really difficult. And do you know if all those residents, do they all manage to find another nursing home close by? Because that's the important part as well. Not all. Um, uh. I can, unfortunately. I mean, uh, there was a, a second one closed actually out the road from that particular home in, in a place called Brideswell, South Roscommon, around the same time. So that put a lot of pressure on existing capacity. I spoke with one of our members yesterday just in, in Waterford, uh, 238 beds closed, and they're still finding it difficult to find accommodation and, and a, a nursing home nearby. So um, that, that is the real tragedy of, of this. 
um, is, is that is that people are losing their homes, and in some cases, and Hicko have highlighted this, that the move of a resident is, is is very traumatic for them. Number one, and number two, they may have to move 20, 30 miles away from their own home, and what that means is that they're gone from their community. Their their family may not visit as often. I mean, you may have a an 85, 90 year old person in the home. Their their spouse would be of a similar age. So for them to travel on a more regular basis, uh, that journey can be challenging. There's challenges around GPs and pharmacies, obviously, because you're again you're moving away from the GP you've had for maybe 70, 80 years of your life. So there's a huge numbers of issues to this. Now, while some people might say there's you know uh, Nursing Homes Ireland and Tyke Daily talking again about the challenges. What I'm trying to do, I suppose, and what we tried to do in that call on the T-shirt was to humanise this um, and to bring it down to that human level. Um, and we're not saying for a second that all nursing homes are under threat at this point in time. Um, I think it's important that people don't don't feel that. But what I can say with absolute certainty is that if we don't do something, you know, many, many more will close. And that would be a tragedy for the, those families, yeah, for those residents. And, and many of the residents, particularly ones that have been in the particular nursing home for a number of years, they form friendships with oh, yeah. the other residents. And then if they've got to be moved on and their friend doesn't get into the same I mean God it's 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 heartbreaking they do yeah absolutely they farm friendships with other residents they farm friendships with other staff and they farm friendships with visitors I mean you take it in rural Ireland I mean I know North Cork very well and and the area that you um, broadcast into so if there's a a local match on of a Sunday and the local club has won I mean you can imagine the excitement in the nursing home on the Monday when maybe one of the players on the team yeah, is working in the home and arrives in. Our one, one of the players, Granny, is in the nursing Correct. home, so you have to go in with the cup. <laughs> Absolutely. So like yeah. that that level of like we're all social animals at the end of this. So that yeah. level of, of connectivity, that level of being part of a community will be lost if we continue the way we're going. And I can assure you that, you know, there'll be very, very few nursing homes built in the next number of years, unfortunately, because the the cost of construction and the economics of it don't add up. So if we lose a nursing home in, you know, any part of Cork City or County, particularly in rural areas, they won't be replaced. That is the the, the sad reality of it. Um, And we saw in Formoy recently, Straw Hall Nursing Home in Formoy, uh, where, where, where uh, 103 broadcast into, um, you know, huge, a lot of those families. Huge upset. It was huge a- absolutely. upset. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I can talk from a, a, a kind of a macro perspective about the sector and 400 homes, etc. But we do need to bring it down to that level. And that's what we were trying to convey in our open letter to the issue. Because this is, this is a government-wide problem, or a government-wide challenge, if you like. And uh, that's why we, we wrote to the Taoiseach as head of government, because sometimes people say we need to talk to the Department of Health. Of course we talk to the Department of Health, but there's there's cost implications in terms of the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. There's planning implications in terms of Department of Local Government. Um, there's permits and jobs in terms of Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. So that's why we, we've taken, as I said, that step to write to the Taoiseach. And the Taoiseach is a decent man, as we all know. And, um, you know, what we're trying to do, I suppose, is, is bring the level of anxiety that's there in our sector to their attention, but also work collaboratively. We want to work with government. We're part of the solution here, a big part of the solution. Our 400 members across the country have invested billions in developing these nursing homes, and uh, what they want is a a viable future, a sustainable future, and and continue to provide high quality. So there's a win-win for everybody here. 
Okay, can, and, can, and a win can for just, society. Can you just clear up something? It, is it true or is it a myth that some nursing homes close and then reopen as centres for refugees? There's been two this year, to the best of my, best of my knowledge. The minister, when she was out at the time, she talked about it being anecdotal. But I, I'd say two things to you, Patricia. One is based on the conversation we've just had and the people I've spoken with. The decision to close is heartbreaking. So people don't take that lightly. Uh, and on the other hand, I'd say to you, if as a nursing home owner, I don't own one, as you know, but if, if I, as a nursing home owner, had a nursing home, why would I close a sustainable, uh, profitable, viable um, sector or, or nursing home in an area on the basis of potentially a short-term gain for uh, the, the refugee crisis? Like, that doesn't make sense if you actually think about it logically. Um, so, you know, while, while like there's been 25 nursing homes closed in the previous three years, and many of those would have repurposed as creches, maybe, or as, as other settings. So it is a bit of a... Yeah, but it's it is. It's a, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a myth that people are deliberately closing, thinking, oh, I'll make an easier book um, yeah, from no, refugees. But I, and I think that's a very valid point you make. Who would do that just for, for, for a um, short-term gain? And even, even only even last week... But Sorry. even only last week, I was going through the CSO figures showing, you know, we're all living longer, which is terrific. Correct. And we were, we were celebrating that and looking at, you know, how the population over 50 is going to double over the next, um, the population over 65 is going to double over the next number of decades. It's yes. more nursing home beds we're going to need, not less. That's 100%. the reality. Absolutely. And, and, and what we need is more care generally. You know, we need more home care, as you know. We need more independent living. We need meals on wheels. We need community settings and we need nursing homes. I mean, you've heard me say before, like a broken record, that, you know, the fact that people are living longer is something to be celebrated. You know, my, my own mother is 91 living down on West Cork. My mother-in-law is 92. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, that's, we should be celebrating that fact because sometimes the narrative around the ageing can be quite... Um, I suppose negative, you know, the, the cost associated with it. Like as a, as a as a first world country, we should be embracing the fact that people are living longer and say, okay, folks, this is this is good news, but we need to plan for it. I mean, if I came on your radio program in the morning and saying because we have an increasing population of children, we shouldn't build a school in an area, people would say that man is off his head. Madness, yeah, yeah. So, but what I'm saying is that we have an aging population right across the country. We complain from time to time, obviously, rightly so, about the depopulation of rural Ireland. This is going to further depopulate rural Ireland, both in terms of, of, of the nursing home, of the residents, of staff and of providers. So it's wrong on so many levels. And, and again, as you know, trying to get into an acute hospital is challenging at the moment. If we don't have care in the parts of rural Ireland that, that, that you represent there in North Cork, what will happen is people will present at the Mercy Hospital. Uh, at Limerick or at CUH, which and they're already under pressure. Yeah. So, so someone says, don't know, don't forget West Cork, Patricia. You're broadcasting loud and clear in West Cork and in the city. We are indeed. Absolutely. All right. I, so keep, just, I keep thinking yeah, North Cork. Don't worry. Don't worry. And, and even so, though I'm from West Cork. Yeah, yeah. And you and you do always flag the fly the flag for West Cork. But just absolutely. So, so, finally, so this so this you you put this open letter into in all the papers and it's quite stark to see it because you, you've got all the different nursing home members signing. It's it's all they're all mentioned on the bottom of yes. it. Are you hoping for a sit down meeting with the teacher? We are, absolutely, and I, I think that, that that will happen. I, I mean, I spoke to the teacher's advisor on Saturday to alert uh, his office. Because, look, we, we're not doing this to be um, divisive. We're doing it to be constructive. Um, but we're also doing it to ensure that the public understand the implications of inaction. Because that's the real message. 
the consequences of inaction will be quite uh, dramatic and quite drastic for older people who require care, but for all of, all of society. Look, we have a long history in NHI of working with all parties and none. Uh, I'm in touch with politicians right across the, the divide on a, on, a, on a weekly basis. So what we want to do is say, right, folks, let's sit down here and plan. And that's, that's the ask, if you like. One is there needs to be an immediate stabilisation piece. Because if I'm a nursing home provider currently and I'm facing down the barrel of increased costs uh, and thinking about closing, if I felt that government were listening, I'd say, OK, look, what I'll do is I'll hang on for a few more months, see what's coming down the track. Uh, they're going to support me in the short term and, and, and then we'll reassess. So that's important in the first case that there's, a, as I would call it, a stabilisation fund. And then we need, look, all of, there's a myriad of government reports over many years which have said that the fair deal funding mechanism is unfit for purpose. So we can't just long finger that and hope it will go away. It won't go away. We've seen the awful consequences this year to date. And if we don't get around the table and, and start hammering out what the new fair deal would look like in terms of the pricing model, you know, there will be more closures. That's, that's the unfortunate reality. OK, listen, we'll talk again, uh, Tyg, in the meantime. Thank you for, your time as Thank you for that. Uh, good morning, okay. Jim. Bye-bye. That morning. is uh, Tyg Daly, who is Chief Executive of Nursing Homes uh, Ireland and certainly painting a rather grim picture at the moment for some of our nursing homes, particularly the smaller ones. A couple of people are pointing out to make sure that I don't forget that today is an important uh, day when we're looking at centenaries. There's been a lot of centenaries uh, this year, but today is the centenary of the foundation of the state. It was on this day, 6th of December, 1922, that the Constitution of the Irish Free State came into effect. It was endorsed by both the Dáil and the British Parliament in Westminster. The endorsement was not a formality. It meant that the new Irish Free State could begin to govern itself by rules and laws that it had written itself. Of course, the 1922 Constitution contained a Bill of Rights that guaranteed freedom of speech, of religion, of conscience, of assembly, the right to trial by jury, the right to invoke hapis corpus and that was, of course was to prevent people being detained by the authorities without due cause which has happened in the past. It also guaranteed free primary school education for all and the one that made me uh, smile was that it guaranteed the right to vote in elections was extended to women under the age of 30. There you go. Manoa uh, Naharan. So we remember uh, today the centenary of the foundation of the uh, state. And of course, Ireland, unfortunately, 100 years ago, would remain embroiled in civil war for about another five months. And of course, it also remained under the dominion of the British Empire until 1931. 0818103103. That's your history lesson over for today. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862103103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Now, while the war rages in Ukraine and many refugees fleeing the country, there's still a huge need to help out those who have decided to stay behind. Corkman Lee McNamara is involved with a group who is helping the people of Ukraine by shipping four by four vehicles. And Lee feels so. Unfortunately, he's been duped by a recent purchase and he joins me with his uh, cautionary tale, I suppose, to anyone who's considering buying buying a vehicle privately. Good morning, Chile. Okay, so I suppose everything starts with the uh, invasion of Ukraine on the morning of Thursday, the 24th of February, and uh, like everybody else, all around the world, we were just uh, dumbfounded and shocked beyond belief that uh, in this day and age that 
a government estate, uh, we think it's all right just to load up the tanks, fill up the bombers, get the jet fighters in the air, and just bomb the hell out of people who have uh, done no harm to this country. And we're just going about their business, going to work, trying to raise a family, trying to make a living. Uh, and basically, the people in Ukraine never deserved it, and they still don't deserve what is happening to them. And uh, that was the 24th of February, and uh, we were just literally uh, blown out of our minds with, with this kind of conduct and behaviour. I suppose, look, a, a few weeks afterwards, then uh, the TV, the radio, the print media, they were filled with stories about uh, the, the destruction that was being wrought on that country. Uh, and it was just going on and going on, and and I just happened to be looking at um, social media one day, and I just saw an interview with, uh, with, a, with an individual who was saying that they wanted to do something concrete, apart from putting a, a few pounds in a collection box outside a supermarket or, or donating it to the Red Cross. They wanted to do something concrete. And out of that then grew the idea that basically uh, on the basis of uh, what we, the information that they were getting back from Ukraine, that was one, one thing in particular they needed. And that particular thing uh, was 4 by 4s And 4 by 4s of a certain vintage. They didn't want the brand new ones. And that's not to say if somebody offers me after this conversation, a brand new four by four, I'll refuse it. Okay. They wanted ones. Okay, and and four by fours are important because I'm assuming the road conditions in Ukraine. Yes, the, well, lots of the roads are just uh, impassable, and that was last February, and we're now heading into another winter, and a lot of the roads have been bombed. Basically, are are impassable, so the vehicles they have are literally useless to uh, getting people to and from hospital, getting the wounded civilians, getting wounded uh, uh, members of the armed forces to get medical uh, uh, care and attention. So four by fours are absolutely essential to what they need to survive. And how many have you managed to ship to Ukraine since you started, Leslie? Yeah, so uh, uh, what we did, we, we, set, we set out, like uh, I said, maybe May and June, and uh, we started off uh, through uh, social media, WhatsApp, talking to each other and talking and going back and forth. And we kind of decided maybe we could get together about 20 of these 4 by 4s And eventually, you know, uh, between the jigs and the reels, uh, fundraising, uh, putting our hands in our pockets, uh, putting uh, our hands in other people's pockets uh, with that permission, <laughs> we eventually delivered uh, 15 uh, 4 well, by 4s well, And, they're, and they, they are making a huge difference. Oh, my God, yeah. It's just uh, we took them down to a city about 130k inside the Ukrainian border. And the name of that city is Brody. And uh, that has made an enormous uh, difference to their lives, to the civilians, to those who are injured, to those who are just literally can't even cross a, a river because the... the the Russians took out uh, just the, the small Mickey Mouse bridges. Yes. They are making a huge, huge difference. Well done, well done. Okay, and we so... Don't, and, we, and we, don't, we don't actually ship them uh, as such, uh, Patricia. What we do, we drive them uh, from Cork. We drive them from uh, where uh, a lot of our people are based around uh, meat. Uh, on these coasts, we have people in Galway. We have individuals in County Clare. 
we get on our bikes and we go out and we walk the the, the highways and byways everywhere and anywhere uh, to seek out four by fours and we talk to the people who own them and we just hope that we can get a a decent deal. Best price. And then when we when we got when we go for the, for those four by fours, we absolutely uh, make sure that they're NCTs. Uh, that when we drive them, they're they're insured and and they're taxed as well. And before we didn't set off uh, in our journeys, and we've done two of them in the last six weeks. We do a lot of prepping on the actual vehicles. We check the wheel uh, bearings, the wheel studs, and look. We go through. Uh, the fan belts to make sure they're they're in good working yeah, order. Yeah, and so as well, you want them to last as long as possible. Oh yeah, when, when yeah. they get to Ukraine. Okay, which brings us to to the reason you contacted us. Now we're not obviously going to name any names here. Oh no, but no, you, yeah. you 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 privately you privately purchased a four by four from an individual in in North Cork. You thought you were yeah. getting a good deal, but yeah. what what happened then? Well. Well, uh, look, to be honest, uh, people could say, look, you got caught and you, you didn't do your uh, due diligence and so on and so forth. But, like, looking at the vehicle, it was a, a Nissan Navara. It was a, it was a, a top spec. It was a, an outlaw. It was uh, had all the bells and whistles. You got electric seats, uh, electric windows, electric mirrors, and God knows what, all the things, really, uh, full stop. But So, on appearance, it, it was very well maintained by the owner. But the bottom line was that uh, uh, I did what I could in terms of the size of the road, checking it here, there, and everywhere. Uh, but there was a fatal flaw, and the fatal flaw uh, only became apparent after the, uh, the transaction was completed. And uh, it, it just came about totally by accident because in a lot of the Navarras, they have a spare wheel that's located under the rear of the, of the actual uh, vehicle. And that is actually uh, lowered up and down by a chain and a ratchet system uh, that you rotate using a T-bar to drop it down or take it back up. And there's a huge well there across the diameter of the wheel. And uh, most of 4x4s, they have five cross members. And one of the cross members directly under the spare wheel was uh, totally and completely Goose, it was rusted uh, beyond redemption. Now, I've actually that, I've seen a video. I mean, it was just it was the, yeah, you the see, undercarriage. I, I yeah, it's just to, it's just totally corroded. But unfortunately, when you did yeah. the deal at the side of the road, you didn't yeah. check the undercarriage, and it was only afterwards. Yeah. And and yeah. when and when you went back to the person you bought it from, did, what was their yeah. defence? Did they uh, did they what, what did they say? How the un, did, were they aware of how bad the undercarriage was? Yeah. Well, I, I went back to the person who owned the vehicle, obviously, to give them an opportunity to uh, address that issue. And, uh, well, basically, I, I was told, look, you had it for a half an hour, and that's it, uh, full stop. And I then uh, went back to uh, the garage concerned and uh, also sent them the video and asked them, like, how, uh, as they are a CVRT centre, how this... Uh, could have been left out the door and onto the public road. And I must emphasise here with you, Patricia, the whole the whole issue is here. There's five cross members. They are not there for fun. And the one uh, concerned is directly under where the maximum weight is put on the open 
ended pick up uh, part of the Navarra. So it's so, not it's not roadworthy, is what you're saying. Well, it, it, what I'm saying to you simply is that uh, it, the only way you could locate uh, this cross member uh, at all in any inspection is to have it up on a ramp, and that's how I actually discovered it myself. You actually have to put it up on the ramp and have a torch and then go looking for them. Now, the Nenevaras have a history of uh, corrosion big time because of a huge malfunction in the uh, the, rust pro- uh, pro- uh, the rust proofing process uh, in 2005, 2006, 2008, 2009. This one was recalled and it was passed and it was it's cleared, it was fine. But every place that takes in any commercial vehicles for testing, they would be aware of the fact that a particular brand, a particular model, uh, is has issues and regarding would, and, sh- and should and should ch- uh, check for yeah, it. Yeah, like so you so you and I know we got on to the um, German Jewel of the Consumer Association. Unfortunately, um, yeah. no comeback because it was a private yeah. sale. Unless you go to court and the price is too high for you to go to the small claims court. So basically, you're stuck with a jeep that's of no you. And is there anything you can do to remedy it? Remedy it? Yeah. so that it well, can like, get out there. I'll explain this as best I can, Patricia. Right? If I went when I went to see the vehicle, I always asked the same question: Has this vehicle been damaged, or has it been crashed in any form? And I, the answer I got was: It hasn't been damaged uh, as such in any major way, or, or crashed in any way. And if if it has been, I'm out of it. Thank you very much for your time. Good luck and goodbye. So the bottom line is. When you go and you see a vehicle that's advertised uh, in top condition, and which it appeared to be internally and externally, the bodywork wasn't scratched, hammered, hocked. And the person uh, you were buying it from knew the reason you were buying it? Yes. Did you make that clear? You're sending this to Ukraine. It's fundraised money. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Both parties to this know about this. Look... (sighs) Not, look, not getting off the subject there, but look, uh, we took off there uh, three weeks ago. We left on Monday. We left our homes. We left our families. Uh, and we travelled uh, 3,500 kilometres over five days uh, to deliver those vehicles. And where we went down to, uh, we, got, we left on Monday. We ran into a, a Gale Force 8 wind, a, a storm uh, in the English Channel. And we got no sleep because of the simple fact our berths were located in the forward section of the ship. And as somebody uh, pointed out to me, it was like being in a washing machine. <laughs> so we got no sleep, but we still got on our bikes and still drove away up through Belgium, across the Netherlands. Because you're so committed to what you're doing. Yeah. And, it, and it hasn't, while it's obviously left a very sour taste in your mouth, it, it, yeah. has, it hasn't uh, turned you off. But it is, I suppose, a cautionary tale for anybody yeah. else that decides to buy yeah. uh, privately. Um, and conditions at the moment, uh, Leslie, they're in really severe. I know yeah. we're, we're getting a cold snap. Nothing like the winters that they get yeah. in Ukraine. Yeah. Well, what, what, I, what, I, what I say to you there is this, look, I'm on the radio here now and the people concerned... Uh, you know, I'm still here, and I'm hoping that they will do the decent thing and give us back uh, a substantial part of what we paid for it, okay. because it wasn't as, as described. We're hoping there, after hearing the show, 
that they'll say, look, look, whatever, and we, we, we'll do the decent thing. Now, going back to Ukraine. So, look, we got there. We left on Monday. I left Monday morning at 11 o'clock. I got into Ukraine over the border after standing uh, on the Polish Ukrainian border for three or four hours while they check uh, Polish uh, crowd. They check you first. Then the Ukrainian people check you. Everything has to be right. They're not stolen vehicles. They have to be checked. Your your credentials have to be uh, checked. So we set off at four o'clock. And I've never in my born days thought I would be travelling through a, a, a country inhabited by people. At four o'clock, it was snowing outside. It was down around, say, minus three, nine, minus four. I passed houses. And I, 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 I use that, that term very loosely, houses. Because uh, most of them were no bigger than our barnishes out the end of our, of, of our gardens. The roofs were made of corrugated. And there was no, no light on anywhere. Electricity and all gone. And if, if electricity wasn't it's there... It's tough. Like, Listen, like, we're going we, to. We, I'm, I'm up against it on time. We're going to stay in contact uh, with you, uh, Leslie, and, and you might join us again, maybe in advance of another trip or when you come back from another trip. Uh, but in the meantime, if people want to donate to what you're doing in Ukraine, how can they help? Well, I, I, I'll tell you now. Uh, we partner with a group that's called ESPA. It's called. I spell it for you because it's a, it's, a, it's a foreign word. Okay. It's it's, it's from Haiti. And, and it's an ESPWA project. And uh, we, we partner with them. Anytime we take our jeeps down, we fill them to the roof with medical supplies. They're having a massive, massive draw on the 28th of, of December in the Silver Springs Hotel. And Park. people can find out more online? Yeah, and the tickets are 50 quid each. Okay. But the, the beauty of the, of the draw is the first, the first prize is a tractor worth 140. The second... Uh, is a ride on lawnmower. Uh, the tower is €2,000. Okay, Euros okay. And okay. And I'm, 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 I'm way over uh, on time. I have to... I'm, all right, I'm Leslie, no, you're okay. Yeah, okay. You're okay. Get the details into us and I certainly will give it another mention. Listen, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Leslie McNamara was, as I say, cautionary tale when buying a vehicle privately, but especially when it was for charity. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Listening to Leslie talking about uh, how they got help from charity trying to buy the best jeeps that they can buy in order to send them over to uh, Ukraine and unfortunately he got one and it's just simply not roadworthy. Uh, Jim said he was just wondering listening to Leslie while Liz- Leslie said that they need to tax and insure the jeeps when they're giving them to Ukraine. He said I can fully understand why they need to be roadworthy but why do they need to tax and insure it? I'm assuming Jim that's got to do with the, the when they're driving them out of Ireland and driving them across Europe and when they, when they hand them over in Ukraine. I know when I was involved with getting vehicles we I got involved in previous years for um, Belarus for Chernobyl for the children of Chernobyl we, I was involved with minibuses and ambulances etc and that was always the way you needed to have insurance to get them the drivers safely across Europe in the vehicles and obviously the road tax for the shortest period of time uh, while they're still in Ireland so I'm assuming it's the same with going to uh, Ukraine thank you for your text and Heidi says Patricia just to let other listeners be aware my husband has had two phone calls this morning already both saying that he's Amazon
Amazon Prime account is out. It's of it's that old scam, but it's doing the rounds again. Uh, please, can you let people know? People need to be aware. Will they ever stop? No, they won't. And of course, they're what they're they're particularly targeting people now because of their banking on the number of people who will be shopping in the run up to Christmas and will be going in using online facilities like uh, Amazon so they're banking on more people signing up for Amazon Prime who they think and they will catch out One, all they need to do is catch a very small amount and they'll have made their money for the day thank you for your text Heidi to 0862103103 Eleanor is in Carrigaline and has contacted us this morning good morning to Eleanor good morning now Patricia you, I, I'm, how are you doing you have you, you come with a kind of a sad story about little ducklings tell us what happened this was yesterday was it yesterday I was heading from Ringeskiddy side of Carrigaline up on the church road they call it yeah and um, there were some ducks I think there were mallards crossing the street a little family of them about six so in the area where the incident actually happened there's a playground 10 feet there's community complex which houses a school, a play school on the left. And there's a, tra- a set of traffic lights. But anyway, I slowed down when I saw the duck. And there was a person driving, I don't know what kind of a car, on the other side of the road and drove straight over through the ducks. And one of them was killed. Another one was seriously injured. The lady that was behind the gentleman or person that was in the in the vehicle and she actually lifted both of the ducklings off of the road and put them up on the dike outside the um, council offices. So now, was, was, there, was there any possibility that the driver didn't see them? No, because no. I flashed him. And if he was going at the correct speed in the built-up area as such, Patricia, he should have stopped one way or the other. So he just ploughed through this, and we've just, all we've all seen there was the little family of, and they waddle across the road, and exactly. you just stop, let them go across. Yeah. And it's usually the mother and all the little ducklings are following along behind. Exactly. And yes, this guy just ploughed through the middle of them. Ploughed through the middle of them. Ah, goodness. As I say, the lady behind him, she stopped, and I did as well. Put on my flashers, and I was getting. Who's are people beeping? Yeah. Um, but there was a gentleman walking there, uh, an older gentleman than myself. No, and he said he, he stopped, and we spoke for a while. And I tried to get help and stuff like that. I rang my own vet, who's not a, a, um, a long distance away from it, and I was told not to touch them. Now the lady that picked them up and put them on the dike had already left uh, because she was going collecting children from school. But anyway, um, the people in the veterinary practice told us that they could do nothing. Yeah, and sorry, don't touch them. I'm assuming that's because of bird flu, is it? Yeah, yes, correct. Ah, okay. But anyway, we can't. I can't get to the vet because I have a local vet number in my phone. Yeah. And to be told, don't touch them. They can't do anything. They couldn't come out. They couldn't do etc. 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 So there was one of them still alive and we felt that even if they came out and euthanized it that it would be the better thing to do yeah so the veterinary practice gave me a number of the organization for the birds in dublin it was a dublin number i was given to contact which i proceeded to do and got no reply so then the gentleman that i met uh, he suggested to me that there was another veterinary practice in carrigaline which was nearby 
So we left the birds where they were and we went up there. And that young person up in the offices there told us that they didn't have a vest that could go out. But equally, they rang another practice and they were told the same because of the bird flu. Um, that it was kind they of can't a no-go ri- Yeah, they can't take the risk. They can't take the risk. Yeah. So did you contact the guardie? I went to the guard station and normally the guard station is closed in Carrigaline, which it was. But there was a guard actually came out and I just said to him what had happened and he said he would take it uh, up straight away. Yeah. And I went back to the scene of the incident about 10 minutes late and there was council workers there So and the birds were gone. So I presume um, that they had either taken them or done something with them because they were no longer there anyway. But I mean, my point is first and foremost, the ducks, people know the ducks are down in the pond and there is another pond at that side of the road so I presume they crossed over to go from, from one pond to, to the other and was, and was there a mother and the babies was that or was or were they all just little ones no I think one of the ones that was killed was definitely older okay I didn't actually handle them I didn't even think of it until the vet like the lady just automatically picked them up because yeah, I, listen, quite a busy area. I did done the same thing. I, I, my instinct would be to have, and have I would picked too, it up. But she had it done before. And were I the other ducks, the, were they distressed? They did, think they had vanished. Vanula, we didn't know where our... Um, Patricia. We didn't know where they went to. Yeah. We just oh, don't know. Awful. Like I'd say they got terrible fright because there was feathers flying in the air and everything, you know? Dreadful thing to witness. Dreadful thing to witness. For the, I mean, the, for the sake of a couple of minutes, not even a couple of minutes to let them cross the road. Yeah, but apart from that, in the particular area where it happened, as I said, the playground is 10 feet away from it. There's an entrance into the community complex and if you go down a little bit, there's a play school in there. Could be a child it running after a ball. Just could as be quickly. a child running after a ball. It could be a child coming out of the playground. Um... Like, and there's actually road works going on there at the minute as well. They're doing something, widening the footpath or taking the road in and stuff like that. So there's a lot of carry-on going on there, whether he was a local. I, I'm just no, no. saying he know whether the I person know, driving the car if he, but was, If uh, they were going at a reasonable speed, they would have been able to have stopped. But then to have hit the ducks and kept driving. Yes. It's kind of heartless, exactly. isn't it? It's really oh, heartless. Because he must have known. Yeah. You must have felt something in that car, you know. Okay, listen, Eleanor, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. And to everybody else, please slow down. I mean, for the sake of the little ducklings crossing the road, how long, how long would it have delayed that person who just ploughed through them them instead? 0818 103 103. Just a couple of calls in about the cold weather at the moment. Uh, Walty in Passage West, when I was giving the tips that Board Gosh are given about trying to weatherproof our homes to keep them as warm as we can, particularly with this cold uh, spell. He says he remembers a number of years ago uh, working with a guy from Lithuania. Walter used to work on ships and he was asking the guy from Lithuania, how do you deal with the cold weather? Because obviously they get much more extreme winters than we get here in Ireland. And he said, the guy from Lithuania said, 
the tip is layer up. Wearing one big heavy coat won't make much of a difference. What you need to do is put on layers. So like two or three t-shirts or two or three uh, vests. Even tips like wearing pyjamas under your jeans. And the guy from Lithuania told Walty that once you've layered up it will protect you against the cold weather and that's how they survive, particularly in the Eastern European uh, countries. Thank you for that. And Anne said their gas heating went, oh my God. And they, she got into the gas heating company. She said it took the best part of three days for somebody to get out and deal with it. She said the problem was you didn't have telephone contact with anyone. She said the engineers were getting a text to say that Anne's house had a problem and needed somebody to come out. But you couldn't directly communicate with somebody. You couldn't pick up the phone and actually speak to somebody. Now, she said, as it turned out, the engineer finally arrived at their house and then the job only took five minutes to sort out. But that took three days for the engineer to get there. But she she felt the worst part of the problem is the communication between the uh, people. But she said that after three days, three days and three nights with no heating in the house, she said she has noticed it's taken them a couple of days to heat the house back up. It's almost like she said the walls went stone cold and they needed to be uh, heated. So she got a flavour of what it would be like to live without uh, heating. And then she was on the bus yesterday just chatting with a lady who was uh, also on the bus and they were talking about the cold spell and obviously talking about the energy crisis at the moment. And the other woman on the bus said the only reason she was on the bus was she was going into the shopping centre and her plan was to stay in the shopping centre for as long as possible to save her using less heating at home. So going on the bus, staying in the shopping centre, getting out of her house and we will see more and more people doing that. I remember it used to be a famous trick in Dublin. I don't know if it's still the same, but particularly people who had free travel. The famous one in Dublin was to go on the dart if you were from the centre of Dublin City out to Hoth and back in again. And there was elderly people in Dublin during very cold spells would do that a couple of times a day because the dart was nice and warm and it would save them putting on their heating. It looks like we're getting, we're doing the same. We'll be doing, we'll be seeing a lot more people doing the same thing uh, here, particularly this winter more than any other winter. 0818 C103 Jobs. With the new Charleville Nursing Home. Find their current available positions at molumhealthcare.com forward slash careers. A dairy farm worker is wanted to work in Mallow. You must have a PPS number and you need to have your own transport. Call 087 297 9018. Senior accounts executive required to work in the Bandon area CVs to decolonan at glasslinvets.ie. A qualified financial accountant wanted to work in Clonakilty, Ross.Kelleher at uh, guideandglobal.com and two cleaners are wanted in Mallow the rate of pay is €11.55 per hour email your CV to carry.murphy at osborne.ie you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie 
Now, over yesterday and today, almost 3,300 people became or will become Irish citizens. It's following ceremonies at the INEC Arena in Killarney. Applicants come from more than 130 different countries. And one of them to receive her citizenship yesterday was Demi Isaac Oviawe of Young Offenders fame and, of course, a DJ with our sister station, 96FM. We couldn't let the moment pass without having a few words with our Debbie. Good morning to you, Debbie. How are you getting on, Patricia? I'm getting on well. Congratulations uh, to you. How important was it for you to become an Irish citizen yesterday? Oh, it was an absolute privilege. You know, I've I've gone to school and I've always been treated as, as an Irish citizen, but legally I'm officially an Irish citizen, which is absolutely mad. You know, like I have, I can do anything that you can, Patricia, which is stuff that I didn't even think about before, like voting in a referendum or and um, being able to travel around the EU more freely and um, being allowed into another 138 countries as well without the requirements of a visa, which is, again, things that I didn't really think about. I was just thinking about it for my own self and, you know, just to do what my parents wanted me to do. And, and now I'm officially married citizen. Well done, congratulations. And we all forget how important that little book, that little Irish passport uh, is. And I, I, firstly, I wasn't aware that you weren't already an Irish citizen. I have to say I was taken aback by that. Um, but I didn't realise the problems it had caused for you, even in your acting career. Yeah, I've been, um, I'd applied for a massive production job. Um, it was an acting job, of course. And I got auditioned. I didn't really tell them. But then they finally said, look, would you come over to London in a week and a half, maybe two weeks, just for this rehearsal? And I was like, I actually can't. I was like, if you could give me maybe four or five weeks, I can apply for a visa, apply for an emergency visa and be able to fly over and with that, they were like, no, that's not good enough. So they kind of let me go for the job, basically. Um, it, it was a stinger because it was just straight after filming Young Offenders as well. And it was a massive, massive production. It was an American one as well. Uh-huh. And, and like, even, I, even things like going on holidays with, you, with your girlfriends, that oh, became no, problematic. If, if the girls want to go on holidays, they have to let me know two months in advance. Like, I, I, <laughs> if anything, they're like, oh, my God, we filmed like Demi. Because I can't just book a holiday to be like, right, I'm going away this weekend. It's No, I have to plan literally two months in advance. Apply, do the application online, go to Dublin, submit my application, everything that follows about the trip, and then wait for four weeks to see if I get to be Where is that now? Is all gone? It's all gone. It's, all gone. It's a waste lifted off my shoulders. <laughs> and what was the process like to get to yesterday? Well, mine was a lot more simple compared to other people's. I can't speak for other people's experiences, but mine was I applied... In 2021, yeah, 2021, May of 2021, um, which was, yeah, about a year and a half ago, I paid, applied in May, sent away my application. This is all while I was filming in Belfast as well. Um, I went to my immigration officer, passed, and I got all the information about when my parents came, how they came, all that kind of stuff, and I submitted with my application. Then come August, maybe mid-July, I got a phone call and a letter in the post basically saying that the Department of Justice had received my application and they were processing it. Didn't hear anything from them until about September saying that I had to be scared of message and I had to basically submit all the information that I did to go into the system and to match to make sure that it was all true and that I wasn't lying of the guardian book. And then come the 4th of October, I got a letter in the post to state that I have to within 10 days to pay the price to become a national, or no, to pay the price to be finally um, nationalised and then I got a letter then maybe a week and a half ago for the date of the ceremony. So there, there is a cost involved. It isn't. It doesn't come free. It's, 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 it's not free but it's 
it's a lot cheaper than what it was back like years ago. So it's 950 euro um, and you have 10 days to pay that. Okay. And then on top of that, then when you're actually sending away your application, you have to pay 175 euro. And if you didn't pay the 950 euro for whatever reason, they can not like cancel your application and you would have to restart oh, all over God. again. Well, that's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. Now, unfortunately, you've lost uh, both of your parents since yeah. uh, since arriving in this country. But uh, and your dad, I mean, you you were quite young when you lost your mum, but you were a teenager when, when you lost your dad. I, I was thinking of you yesterday. Did you very much feel your dad with you yesterday? Because it would have been important for him that you got citizenship. I mean, it's it's. I didn't even think about it until yesterday when I was actually getting ready. I was like, my daddy's not going to be there. Like, I didn't have, I didn't really realize it because you know sometimes you're always on the go. You don't have a minute to be left with your thoughts. And that it clicked in my head on the way down, and I bawled my heart so loud. Wow. I was like, this is all he ever wanted. Like, he literally got his citizenship like a few months before he died. So this is something that he's always wanted for me and my brother Eamon, who is not an Irish citizen. He was born in the country, but isn't um, an Irish citizen since nationalisation after 2005. So I'm the first one ticked off the list and Eamon's the last to, to get his Irish citizenship. And this is all he ever wanted to come to this country. You know? mm, he'd be very proud of you. He'd be very proud. And of course, and your, your Nigerian heritage is, is really important to you. And, and you really showcase that on the, the restaurant, uh, Cooking Up a Storm with, with your four stars. That Thank heritage, you. that heritage is, is really important to you, isn't it? Oh, man, like, I've always considered myself Irish, but I 100% consider myself Nigerian. Like, my dad never let me forget about it, but my uncles never let me forget about it. My stepmother, who's Irish, never let me forget about it, that I am Nigerian at the end of the day. Um, and even though I have a Nigerian passport and I will have an Irish passport, I am an Irish citizen, I still consider them both equally as It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Important in my life and something that I will pass on to my kids, even if I don't get birth to them in this country. 
they will always remember that their mother is Irish and Nigerian no matter what, you know. Well, it's a little bit like when our Irish have gone abroad, the Irish in America, the Irish in Australia, the Irish in England. You never forget that. That's, you know, even though you were very, very young. I mean, I'm assuming you don't have any memories of life in Nigeria before you left. No, I, I, I really don't. But I did go back there before COVID 2019 and I seen my grandmother and stuff. And life there is completely different. Like, I can see why my parents brought us over here to start a new life because it's it's a very difficult life lifestyle over there, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, I'm blessed to be Nigerian, but they would chew me up and spit me back out if I moved back. <laughs> no, that kind of way. <laughs> well, they'd be impressed with your cooking, if not if nothing else. Oh, be, no, 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 no. To... <laughs> I was unauthentic, um, <laughs> I've been told, so I'm just I'm just going to stay on the good side of them now. <laughs> okay. and, will, and will you go back to Nigeria again? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm hoping to go back there again next year if if all goes well. But my grandmother is begging me to go over, so yeah, I definitely will go over. And it's it's like I said, it's still going to be a part of my life. I just wouldn't live there. Okay, I you don't. Know? Yeah, I don't know if you've seen any of the papers. You've made a lot of the papers today. Lovely photographs uh, <laughs> of you, and and I saw the ceremony. It looked like a lovely ceremony. The the clip that was on the news was was it lovely? Oh, it really was. And there was a Saudi Arabia man next to me, and he was absolutely delighted. Like. I've never been more happy to see someone else happy. Everyone left that place absolutely smiling ear to ear. Like, I don't think I stopped smiling. I don't think I stopped smiling since yesterday. Like, like there's been a smile on my face for the last 24 hours. Like, no doubt. It's incredible to think 130 countries. Do they call out the countries? Do they mention the countries or do they? No, that no. they don't do. Um, but I suppose if you started now, you couldn't stop. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, it's I suppose just so, yeah. 130 so. countries, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yesterday really shows, you know, and even the reports in the papers today on the ceremony, just how multicultural our country has become. But does it sadden you then when you hear about protests? Are there small in numbers that are happening outside refugee centres and asylum centres? Does that sadden you? It really does because. I was, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I, didn't, I don't remember that process. I didn't go through that process of being um, seeing direct provisions or being a refugee and fleeing because of war. My parents came here for a better life. Um, but it's just, and it's the conditions as well in which they live in as well is just absolutely heartbreaking. Because I've got a few friends who live in direct provision sites and it's just, it's heartbreaking. Like they just can't have a normal life. They, it's, they get treated in a way that you wouldn't expect any human to be treated in, you know? I saw the Children's Ombudsman actually has come out about it as well and saying the difference to the way the war refugees from Ukraine, the children have been treated there versus the children that have been treated in the asylum process. And he's coming out quite strong on, on that one today. OK, and then you've you've been really, really busy since last we chatted. We saw you as Aoife in Graham Norton's holding. Was that great f- film? To f- was that great fun to film in West Cork? I was. You was know, I've never been to West Cork. Patricia. Oh, Demi. That was the first time I've been, and when I tell you, it was the right time of the year. It was summertime, the sun was splitting the stones. It was absolutely gorgeous. Um, and we were out in the country, which is weird, because I'm a townie, but I've never been out in the country, country before for jobs. So it's absolutely beautiful. And you worked very closely with somebody who's a good friend of us here on the programme, Pauline McGlynn. Yeah, oh, Pauline McGlynn is not but a messer. Everyone, we, so we worked very closely together because our characters were intertwined, and like, yeah. It's like being in school where they tell you to stop talking, but you're not the one talking. It's Pauline yapping away and making the joke. 
she's as bold as she is. But she's absolutely brilliant. And she gave me loads of acting tips and stuff as well, which is absolutely fantastic. And the School of Good and Evil, uh, the Netflix in Belfast, that was, did you enjoy that? Oh, uh, that was like a holiday. That was just after, like, the, the restrictions were starting to ease. So it was just after COVID, basically. And it was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. That was an eye-opening experience um, because it's very American. You get to, it's, yeah, it was great. Um, if I get a technical, we'd be here all night. But it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> okay, well done. Well, well done. Thank okay. You. And have you more in the pipeline or are you, are you able to talk about what's in the pipeline? I can talk about okay. what's coming up, but I've got, I've, got, I've got a trick up my sleeve, basically. Let's okay. put it that way. Okay. All right. And uh, one of our listeners, uh, Jim, says, congratulations to Demi on her citizenship. She's nearly more Irish than most and certainly has the accent already. I didn't realise she's also a DJ. Uh, is, and, she, and Jim wants to know, is there another series of The Young Offenders to come? No, no, it's gone, isn't no. it? Yeah, sorry, yeah. I'm sorry, guys. It'd be lovely to see you back as as the adult versions of yourselves. Do you know what I mean? Just to what it happened? Would be nice. What it happened would be to nice. you when you left school? That would be, I think, that would be a fun, fun series. No, and a number. Every- Everyone go email Keisha Foot, the director, and That's see it. what he's saying. And so, you know? Yeah. <laughs> write another one. Write another series. Okay, lots of people saying, lovely to have it here, Demi, on the programme today. And again, a number of people saying what I had said earlier, okay? Didn't even realise that the girl wasn't Irish and wasn't from uh, Cork. So congratulations. Okay, listen, it's always a pleasure uh, to Thanks speak with you, Demi. We'll, we'll meet at the Christmas party, no doubt. 100%. Looking forward. <laughs> uh, take care. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Demi Isaac Oviawe on her citizenship yesterday, as I say, just under 3,300 between yesterday and today, getting Irish citizenship in those ceremonies at the INEC in Killarney. Uh, congrats to all. After a forced hiatus due to the pandemic, the improvised panto gang are super excited to be returning to the Cork Opera House for seven performances kicking off this Friday night. Laura Hart is one of the Impro Panto crew and Laura joins me. Good morning to you, Laura. Morning, Patricia. How are things? I'm very good, and it, it's great to speak with you. Now, I suppose for anyone who has never been to an improvised panto before, as best you can, describe <laughs> what happens. Right. Um, how to how to sum up in a paragraph? Um, so basically, we uh, we are there's five actors, and we make up a panto on the spot from scratch, with no script, no cues, no plot as such. Um, and we we do an hour and a half of of an entire show with live song songs made up on the spot, dialogue, dancing, you name it. Um, so the audience arrive into the auditorium. They have there's a big screen, a big projector screen with nine panto titles. So you have Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Jack and the Beanstalk, Hansel and Gretel, and so on. And they shout out which one they want to see. And majority wins, they select the panto and then they pick the characters. So we don't know what character we're going to play either. And off we go and we do the show. Oh, my God. (laughs) And are you dressed accordingly? Yeah, we have. Oh, my God. I was filling my boot yesterday. We have like two two to three costume rails packed with costumes. We have over 100 costumes for every eventuality from Jack the Cow to Little Red Riding Hood to, I don't know, Pumpkin. A, a dwarf, you name it. We have a lot of costumes. So, if somebody points to you and say, and say for argument's sake, the audience have gone with Cinderella. We want to see Cinderella, and we, okay. everyone points at you and says, "Okay, we want you to be Cinderella." Do you then run rush off stage and, and get into Cinderella costume, or how does that work? Basically, yeah, yeah. So, so there's five, there's five um, cast members. 
So they'd select, let's say, for the sake of argument, they'd pick me for Cinderella. They'd pick uh, two of the guys for Ugly Sisters. And then there's, what, the prince and... Fairy Godmother. What, the, the Fairy Godmother. That would be the fifth one, you have to yeah. think. And we'd all play those, but we'd also play random characters as well. You know, because Panto has villagers. They'd have a villager randomly walking on. So you could have Jim from Ballypurine walk in. And then you could have... You could have... Um, Mary from Kentark, so you name it. It could be set anywhere as well. We get the audience to set the place. So, you know, we always go to the Mitchetown Caves for um, a lad and things like that. (laughs) We like to pick local. And how do you prepare for each night? Or can you? (laughs) Um, Well, I suppose every panto, no matter what, which way, whether it's adult pantos or kids' pantos, has a structure in terms of a fairy tale. So that's what we hang everything off. So people expect... In Jack and the Beanstalk, you know, there's a rental crisis, you know, so that's pretty topical. It's always topical. You know, Jack is always there with his beloved cow and he has to go sell the cow. You know, there's a beanstalk, there's beans. So there's always points you have to hit. So that's our structure. How we get there, who knows? It could go any which way. You know, sometimes we end up in Tesco selling the cow. Sometimes we end up in, you know, Skibbereen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you could bring the cow to the mart. I don't know if you could bring the cow into Tesco. Ah, but we need to go to the English market or something. Do you know, we'd mix it up. With a live cow. <laughs> the English market would, lo- would love you to do that. Uh, and, then, know, yeah. and then there's a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by the live music as well. How does that work? Yeah, we have um, we have a new musician this year, Dylan Howe. He is one of the most talented, like, like, not blowing our own trumpet. We're great, right? The actors are brilliant, right? We're all, we're all quick and on the spot. But this guy is phenomenal. He makes up the songs on the spot. And he plays multiple instruments, so he could be on the saxophone, or he's he's mainly on keys now, to be fair. Um, but you know, we always have an opening number. We could have a song about, like, it could be about anything. There's this, it could be a country and western style. It could be Motown. It could be pop. It's mainly pop. You know, there's a lot of sad kind of Lemmy's style heavy songs about love or despair, and then there's big happy numbers where we're dancing around the place. And he's he's phenomenal. He's incredible. Well done. Well well, well done. Um, and you you emphasise that it's not suitable for children. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the show starts at ten thirty at night, so right. that's a late one. So so that's for <laughs> children are in bed. Children exactly. Bed. Exactly. So once um it's on after the main uh, the main the real panto as we call it. Um, so the panto in the opera house and then uh, that comes down and we get ready and we come on at half ten. Um, obviously the nature of it, we're making it up on the spot and um, naturally things can go, go in various directions that we wouldn't necessarily need little ears to hear. So can, uh, I, but get, I, but it, can I get a I bit would, risque? It, it can, but okay. not intentionally so. I suppose okay. we, we don't aim to go for the butt of the joke, but um, we also have... We hand out little slips at the start of the show. So um, it says, be part of the show, write down a line you'd like a panto character to say, and it might get read out. So we give those to the audience as they come in, and we collect them, and we have them in a big basket at the front. And uh, on cue, we might get a little bell, and then we have to pick up one of the slips and say it. So it can change. It can t- change the entire the entire plot. So, so, I so be- whatever I've written on a piece of paper, you have to somehow work that into the script. Basically, yeah. So there's been scenarios like I've been um, I've been Cinderella for, and I'm from West Cork somewhere, and I'm going, "All right, boys and girls, how are we getting on? Like, you know, I'm Cinderella, like." And then all of a sudden, I could get a slip saying I'm actually a real dub. Oh. And then you know, <laughs> suddenly I'm like, "How are we? How are we getting on now? You know, or whatever it is." 
that's just a, yeah, a mean yeah. example. But it could take it anyway, or it could say, I love carrots, and then suddenly I'm singing a song about how much I love carrots, you know? So it's just, <laughs> could go anyway. <laughs> and if you, went, <laughs> if, if you went on two separate nights, would you get two very different pantomimes? Absolutely, yeah. We rarely do... Um, like we would never do, you know, if like for example, we're on Friday, Saturday, we'd never do two Aladdins. Do you know what I mean? So we, because we say to the audience, right, we did Aladdin last night. If you want, we'll do it again. But let let us know what you want to see, and usually they'll shout something else out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so by its nature, it's always different characters. They always pick, you know. So some nights I could be Beauty's dad, and another night then I could be Beauty herself, you know, from Beauty and the Beast. So. It brings a whole different element. Um, Do you it. always get all those cutesy parts like Cinderella and Little Red Riding Hood? And are you always picked for those parts? No, it's hilarious. I always, I always get picked as the dad. I so I'm always Beauty's dad or Daddy Bear or <laughs> I'm um, Jasmine's dad in Aladdin. It's really bizarre, but I suppose we've we've three guys in it. Dom, um, Dom's from The Young Offenders. Demi would would know him well. He was Sergeant Healy. Um, so he's a big, tall, good-looking guy. So very often he he's gets a cast prince. as no, no, no. He gets cast as Cinderella or as, as oh, Jasmine. Cause so people, people are like, de- yeah, they're deliberately being evil to you. Exactly, is, is, they yeah. love messing and with that us. Adds, they love messing that really with adds to it. Is there a nervousness about getting back on stage following the pandemic, Laura? Um, do you know what? We were only talking about it the other day. There's just this. It, it's hitting different this year. Our rehearsals. There's just this excitement. Um, like we've just we've. We've been forced into not being able to perform. We were supposed to do some shows last year, but our audience got cut to 50% and everything needed that. to be shut by yeah. 8 o'clock. So it, we would have just, it wouldn't have made financial sense to do it. So we were gutted. Um, so we're just, we're so thrilled and excited because like, there's just, there's so much, you know, life is hard at the minute for a lot of people. You know, there's, there's people running down ducks for God's sake. And people need escapism. People need joy in their lives. And that's that's our, our, our sole aim. If people come in, they forget about their worries for an hour or two and we just have a giggle. It's it's not serious. Yeah. It's taking the mick. It's good crack. And people are out for a few drinks for a night out with their friends. And that's if people leave with a smile on their faces, that's, that's all we want. And we're just... So your your work is done if people leave with with a smile on their face, and obviously the fact it's exactly. at half ten. Um, <laughs> this would be perfect for staff night out, office party, meal, few drinks first, and then with a few drinks and you all ramble into the opera house. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's a huge, it's a huge thing. We've an awful lot of parties of 50, 60, 70, huge groups coming in, but an awful lot this year we're seeing is it's a lot of like the girls going right. What's our night out this year? You know, they're picking their night. So it's friends getting together um, and just, you know, like you say, going for a meal, going for a few it's drinks. something different in. to, do, to, to exactly. do something. Now, I mentioned in the introduction, you're running for seven nights, but that's not seven <laughs> nights back to back. No, no, no. We've just picked the kind of the key Christmas nights. So we're doing this weekend, Friday, Saturday, the following weekend, Friday, Saturday. And then the week of Christmas, we're doing the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. OK, you're right um, up to the day, the, the day right before uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah. And bookings at CorkOperaHouse.ie? Exactly, yeah. Tickets are flying, but uh, there's there's still some available. So yeah, we've five or six hundred in there now Friday night. So we're we're all excited. We're all set to start. And do do you rehearse? You you mentioned that you're rehearsing. I'm, I'm trying to work out how do you rehearse. <laughs> no, that's probably we, a very stupid question. No, no, it is the most frequently asked question. Is how do you rehearse? Or you're not, you know, you, you don't plan it. 
it, I suppose what we do, we have a new, like we have a new person this year, for example, Declan Wolf is joining the team. Declan has done 15 pantos over the years in the Opera House, so he's he's no stranger to panto. But I suppose we meet up to, to gel and to work together because obviously the, the biggest part of improv is trusting each other and knowing that if I say something, someone has my back and they know where I'm going or they're there to support. So it's a, a the group being gelled is, is, is our biggest not challenge, but it's our biggest goal and aim in rehearsal. So we could go in and just do half an hour of checking the beans up, but it'll never be seen again, or we'll sing a few songs or practice a few, a few bits. Um, but it's just about getting into the swing of it again and working together again. It's just, yeah, yeah a great fun. Because I'm thinking with improv, I mean, if somebody looks at you and says a line and then you blank, that just to know that there's somebody there that might jump in. Exactly, exactly. And that's and that's what it's all about. And, and the five of us work together really well and there's always somebody on the sidelines ready to jump in or or the opposite to to try and mess with you as well, you know, because if, if I'm standing there and I could be talking about how much I loved walking down Patrick Street in my youth, then somebody on the microphone could say, flashback to Laura walking down Patrick Street on her youth. And, you know, <laughs> I'll have to sort of play that out. So. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of that as well. We mess with each other, but in a playful, loving kind of way. And, and, and you, you sound like, as, as a crew, you sound like you all, you all love it. Is it harder or easier than to go into something and just learn the lines and just rat, not rattle out the lines every night, but you know what I mean? Just say the same lines every night. Is it, is it harder or easier? For, for me, it's, I find that way, way harder because a lot of people say, how do you do it? I couldn't do it. I'd be so nervous. But I suppose with improv, there's sort of a freedom in not knowing what's going to happen because you can't control it. So it's like a mental kind of, you just say, right, I just have to go with this and see what happens. Whereas I found in productions I've done before where I've had a script, the pressure of having to say what you're supposed to say <laughs> at the right time is, is a lot stronger. And I find now it's because I've done improv for, this is our our 10th year is of it? performance. Wow. Yeah, we've been, we started from, we were babies in the in the half moon. Um, Mary Hickson several years ago because I said she's got to make up a panto like you know you don't need a script and she's like go on so so that's where it started years ago you know it's bonkers now think back to playing to incredible and I know there's there's a huge loyal following people go year after year after year and it's like it is their Christmas night out so corkoperahouse.ie and this is the first weekend that's open Friday and Saturday Laura we wish you and the rest of the crew good luck with it and thank you thank you for joining us on the programme good morning to you that is uh, Laura Hart one of the improvised panto uh, team opening at the Opera House. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Looks like some parts, particularly on higher grounds, could get a little bit of snow with this coming cold snap that is coming in over the country. And somebody has actually said when I was talking about the weather earlier, saying it's fine, healthy weather. Everybody should enjoy it, but it's trying to keep everybody warm is the problem. And um, C103, we're giving away super value gift cards. It's our second week and by the end of this week, we will have given away €5,000 worth of super value gift cards. It's the C103's Christmas covered. Your chance to win a €500 voucher every weekday and you can put it towards your festive shopping spree. You're listening at nine, two o'clock and five o'clock every day to count the Christmas bells. Hopefully you heard Ken this morning ringing the bells. Uh, Nick will do it at two. Martina will do it at five. And then as soon as Martina has rang the Christmas bells and you've got your total number for today, you text her WhatsApp Martina on drive with the total amount for your chance to win 0862 103 103. Now, yesterday, 
say, I think it was our first male winner. I'm looking at the list of winners with Sarah, Ashleen, Ashleen, Paul and Liz. Yeah, it was. It was Dennis Kelleher in Rylam. And Martina started by saying to him that he was among hundreds and hundreds who had text or WhatsApped in yesterday with their entry. Oh, yes, I did. I WhatsApped this year. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, you, were yeah. ca- you were counting the Christmas bells, Dennis. I was, yeah. Are, yeah. You, are you pretty confident you got it right? I think I am in a way. I am, I am. Yeah, I am, yeah. Were you good at mathematics in school? I was good enough, far right, I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. enough to count up a few bells. Yeah, okay, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Well, I just need you to tell me now how many bells it was that you heard. There was um, 12 bells. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there yeah. were. And that is the sound of a winner right there. Yeah. Oh, so, thanks a million. Dennis, yeah. I hope this makes a big difference now coming up to Christmas oh. to win a, a super value gift card worth 500 euro. That's going oh, to be a, an amazing yeah. shopping spree. Oh, jeez, it will be lovely all together. Yeah. What, what's going to be top of your Christmas list? Oh, I don't know. I suppose the turkey and the ham and everything that way. Yeah. yeah. Everything I want. Yeah. Well, so I'm de- delighted. Thanks a million. Good. Dennis, thanks yeah. ever so much for listening to C103 and congratulations. Uh, all right, thanks a million. And a, a very happy God. Christmas. And same to yourself, all right. Thanks okay. a million. Uh, kicking off week two, Dennis Kelleher in Rylan, our latest winner. That's the C103's Christmas covered with Super Value gift cards. They're perfect for every occasion. They're suitable in store or online. You can get e gift cards that can actually be sent with a personal message. You simply search Super Value gift card, but you've got to listen out weekdays, 9 a.m., 2 p.m., and 5 p.m. to win only on C103. Now, let me go to some of your calls and comments uh, coming in. Uh, Some reaction to Demi Isaac, who joined us and how excited she was about her citizenship yesterday. And she now has to apply for her passport. Didn't want to get into it. There might be she could have a wait for her passport because I was even reading only yesterday online. There still seems to be some backlog when it comes to the issuing of uh, passports. So we wish Demi good luck as she now officially applies for her first ever Irish passport. Somebody says, hi, Patricia. I applied for Irish citizenship in June of 2021. I haven't heard from anyone to date. Could you tell me if there's something I'm not doing or something I should be doing? Thanking you in advance. Well, listening to Demi, I'm sure she said it was, was it April or May? of 2021 and she'd only just heard uh, lately that she was getting citizenship uh, yesterday so I'm assuming it's done on a month by month basis that they go through all of the various processes but the fact that you haven't heard anything yet I would maybe contact them just to see where you're at with the where in the process you're at. I mean, obviously, 3,300 people got citizenship between yesterday and today, and I'm assuming all of them applied in the last year. So there's a lot of people apply for citizenship. So maybe give them a call or, I, I don't know, did you send it in by email? Email just to see if there is any update on your status and they can at least let you know where you're at in the process and how quickly you can expect to hear. And I asked Demi at the close of the piece, you know, the fact that here she was she had come as an immigrant child with her parents and she admitted that her parents came from Nigeria so that they could have a better life for Demi and her brother then was obviously born in this country but that's what her parents wanted to do and sadly she's lost both of her parents to cancer uh, since. But I was asking her how she felt about asylum centres with some protests that have been going on lately and she was talking about how saddened she was uh, about that and didn't like to see it. Um, But Martin says Patricia the reason that people 
protest is that they're standing up for Irish people's rights. There are way too many asylum seekers coming into this country. We cannot even house our own and asylum seekers when they arrive get free free food and accommodation. What about the Irish, says Martin. And the only thing I will say, Martin, whether whether 10 asylum seekers come in or whether 10,000 asylum seekers come in, that's not going to make any difference to the housing crisis. We have a separate housing crisis and the people who are coming in looking for us for asylum. I think people have a right to protest. I would never stop anybody protesting, but protesting outside an asylum centre where there are children staying just doesn't sit with me. The people inside in that asylum centre who are here coming for a better life or are fleeing war, fleeing persecution, they can't change the asylum uh, process and they can't house one extra Irish people. There's nothing the people inside in that centre can do. So I think when people are protesting, it's where they do the protests, I I think, needs to be looked at. I mean, go to where decisions can be made. Go to the government. I mean, everybody will say that our asylum process simply takes too long. We need to look at the way we run our asylum process because, hand on heart, are there people who are coming into this country that are not genuine asylums, um, not, not, not genuinely asylum seekers? Of course there are. Of course there are. But they've got to be weeded out amongst the people who are genuinely here looking for, looking to be classed and to get their asylum uh, processed. Uh, so protesting outside where there's young children who um, none of us know wh- what they have seen, what they have witnessed, what their conditions uh, were like. So that's that I think certainly for me, it just doesn't sit right with me when I see protests outside the actual centre. But yes, absolutely. Everybody has a right. Can I understand with the housing situation? Yes, I can. Uh, yeah, 100 percent. We have a housing crisis in this country. And then Martin also wants to just give a cautionary word to uh, others, please, to be very, very careful if you're out doing your Christmas shopping and particularly when using an ATM machine. Martin's wife was shopping in Formoy last Saturday and her card was stolen. Whoever took it was able to use it in other parts of the town. Um, the guards now are checking several shops for CCTV footage. People need to be very careful. There was €300 Euro in the bank account when her card was stolen they left it with six euro oh god that's an awful way as you head, in, head into uh, Christmas and 300 euro can be a lot of, can be for some people it might seem like nothing but for somebody who doesn't have a lot 300 euro is really a lot saddened to hear that um, Martin hopefully the Gardaí will get to the bottom of it and will be able to find whoever is responsible for it 0818103103 and a lot of texts coming can I find one that came in earlier uh, Michael wants to uh, congratulate he says our one and only Pascal Donoghue uh, Minister Pascal Donoghue, who of course has been elected as president of the European Group for a second term. Michael says it shows the respect and trust that the other European countries and their ministers have in Minister Pascal Donoghue, Donoghue to, ref- to re-elect him unopposed, especially as he's coming from such a small country like Ireland. What a privilege for him and the country. But as I've said many times before, there is only the one Pascal. Every good luck to him in his new position. So we take it. Michael is a big fan of Minister Pascal Donoghue. 0818103103. John Paul continues to take your calls. And when I mentioned housing and the housing crisis we were in, that's prompted Emmy, Eddie to think back to a situation that some people will remember when it came to 
trying to get a landline. Now, this would have been before mobile phones. We're talking back in the 70s. Eddie said he clearly remembers the Irish phone network at the time. It would have been telecom Aaron, wouldn't it? Is that what it would have been at the time? It just wasn't fit for a purpose. And he said at the time, Albert Reynolds would have been Taoiseach, stood up in the doll and said that every house would be able to get a phone on demand, he said, within the next three years. Now, the time that Albert Reynolds made that speech in the doll, it was taking three years for a people to get a landline from when they applied to getting the landline installed in their home. Now, there will be some people who will remember that uh, happening. And seemingly, if you knew somebody that worked in Telecom Aaron, you might have had a chance of being bumped up along. But generally speaking, when somebody moved into a new house and if they wanted to get a landline, they put their name down and then it could be three years before anybody came to them. And so it was a system that really wasn't working. So Albert Lynch, anyway, according to Eddie, oh, my apologies, I, I thought he was Taoiseach. He wasn't. He was Minister for Communications at the time. Eddie said that, and I'd have to look into this now to get more background information on this, that Albert Lynch, as Minister for Communications, travelled to France and he ended up meeting with a French company who had the technology that could improve Ireland's telecommunication system. They went back to France, cut a deal and a new French upgrade of the network began. And that meant that many people then were able to get phones. And in some cases, uh, people were able to get a phone on the same day, if needs be. So Eddie said he just suddenly started remembering and thinking about that. And he said, do we need to look at that when it comes to we have a housing crisis? Now, listen, not having a house and not having a phone, are you know, you can't equate one with the with the other. But everything is relevant at the time. People were up in arms because they couldn't get a landline into their home. And if you lived in a rural area, people really were trying to get their phones installed so Eddie's point is could we look outside the country is there some other country that we could look to or some other scheme that we could look to to try to solve our housing crisis I mean if you were to call a spade a spade how do we solve our housing crisis we need to build more houses now they they won't go up overnight but we need to be building much more houses now some will say seeing as Eddie's talking about the 70s go back to what we did back in the day when the council built houses how many people today are living in a house that was once owned by the council and then over the years the people living in it bought the house and people are still buying houses from the council so do we need to go back to some way like that we need to look at how we're building houses and how quickly we can build houses and how many more houses we can build thank you for your call uh, Eddie to 0818 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie And when people are talking about helping our own can I remind you that the Carrie collection for penny dinners uh, is ongoing and it will continue until this Friday in the pub in Carrie uh, they also have drop-off points in Bantir Community Centre Friday 8pm to 10pm then this Saturday they'll be in Tully Lease Community Hall if you'd like to donate anything for penny dinners between 11am and 1 Kilavollen Community Hall also on Saturday 10am to 3 Bally Desmond Community Centre 10am to 12 noon and Kenturk Trade Union Hall 11am to 1 that's all on Saturday and on Saturday and Sunday Dungorny GAA pitch 3 to 6 in the afternoon Sunday 11am to 1 Bally Hay Community School Hall Saturday and Sunday 1 to 2pm and then on Sunday Auburn Cross and Cal and Callendine Restaurant 
in Mill Street from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So a lot of places if you would like to donate for Cork Penny Dinners. And this year, the public have been asked to contribute towards the cost of erecting Mallow's lovely Christmas lights. They really are beautiful. And you can go through the I Donate page, Light Up Mallow. Monthly Mass in honour of St. Pio taking place in St. Joseph's Church in Lismire. Tonight at 8, all are welcome. And you can dedicate a remembrance ribbon for your loved one on the Remembrance Tree. It's located in the square in Canturk. Ribbons are available from various locations. Donations are accepted and the Mass will be set for the intentions in January. And Shambhali Moore Bingo is on tonight at 8. Jackpot, 3,300 euro in 50 calls or less. Come along, everyone is welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Joe uh, said those who are coming into these country, country asylum seekers and those that are fleeing the war in uh, Ukraine, I wonder, says Joe, do many of them come with skills? Joe says, for example, he's very much into arts and crafts and he would love if some of those that are coming into our country could bring, they could offer so much to the local communities and to society, say, if they're into arts and crafts, he's thinking like workshops, uh, for example. And of course, many of them were working. Only last week it was uh, announced that more than a third of the working age Ukrainian refugees in Ireland are now in jobs. And see me, that's a higher employment rate among people fleeing the war than in any other country across the EU. Now, of course, the big problem for a lot of the Ukrainians are mothers with very young children. If they can't get somebody to look after the children, that does become a bit of an issue. But already a third of them, of the working age, because remember, many of them are children um, who are, I saw the figures, there's uh, 20,000 of those who fled the war in Ukraine are children and 10,000 of them are pensioners, so they wouldn't be of working age. But the third of the working age are already working, so many of them have managed to find uh, work. And talking of work, interested to hear people's views on the Social Protection Minister, Heather Humphreys. She is preparing to bring a plan to Cabinet tomorrow, which will radically overhaul how payments are made to people who earn more should they, God forbid, lose their jobs. Under these proposals from Heather Humphreys, those who lose their job would earn almost twice the current rate of job seekers' benefit if their previous earnings or PSI contributions reached a certain level. Under the plan, any worker who would have five or more years of PRSI contribution would then be entitled to 60% of the gross weekly salary that they were on when they lost their job. Now, it would be capped at €450 uh, per week and then it would likely taper off over time. And the Fine Gael Minister rejected the idea that these changes amounted to a two-tiered social welfare system. She made the point that pay-related benefit uh, is in the programme for government and she's committed to making it so that your benefits are linked to what you actually put in. She said a lot of people pay into social insurance fund and then when they become unemployed they face a sudden cliff edge in their income. She said she wants to ease that. Now she's bringing what she's calling a straw man proposal to government to set out what a new pay related social protection scheme would look like and I have to say when I saw that in print a straw man proposal I had to Google it and basically what a straw man proposal uh, is it's it's a brainstorming. It's like a simple draft proposal. And the whole idea behind it is that it generates discussion. So her proposal would go out to, for a consultation period. People like the trade unions would get involved. Employers groups would get involved. And then it would be reviewed later next year. And it would involve linking your social welfare payment to the person's working history. 
uh, where a person could sustain in the early phase of the period of unemployment and income somewhere close to what the employ the employer had already been paying that person. And I suppose the idea is is in those early days then that hopefully the person would go on and find other work and therefore that they wouldn't there wouldn't be so much of a difference between when they're out of work and they get back into work, there wouldn't be such a difference in their income. But the housing minister, Darrow O'Brien, he's not in favour. He believed in all citizens should be treated equally. He was speaking on national radio on the weekend and he said he didn't believe that the social protection system should take into account individual circumstances or backgrounds. He says, I see no, you know, he he admits he hasn't seen any detail either formally or informally. But he said, to be honest, I think our welfare system is broadly fair now. If you're asking somebody to live on 208 euro a week and you think that's fair, I, I don't know. And someone who maybe has worked, has been working for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I don't think they're going to exactly see it as fair. But anyway, uh, he says it helps people who need help. It doesn't distinguish between backgrounds and it doesn't distinguish between circumstances. That's the current system. He said in a republic that we live in, every citizen is equal and should be. And he said the welfare system is there to support people when they need the assistance of the state. He thinks it's a fair assessment and that people would look back and say that it was fair. And, you know, he went on to talk about if you compare it to, say, to the UK or to the rest of the EU, the parent, the payments compare favourably to other jurisdictions and in the main it, it, it works. Yeah, but our cost of living is also very high uh, as well. So it's a proposal from um, Heather Humphreys, as I say, it is this straw man proposal. So it'll go out to discussion. And I imagine there will be a lot of debate and there will be a lot of discussion on it. But the idea would be that if you are a higher earner and you lose your job for a period of time afterwards, your instead of getting 208 euro a week, a single person could get up to 450. Would you be with Heather Humphreys on this? Or would you be with the housing minister, Dara O'Brien, who believes that all citizens should be treated uh, equally? And what we would end up would be is a two tiered social welfare system for those on the dole. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And we're looking at gambling and the effects of online gambling uh, with Joe Heffernan, a councillor from Boher Bree. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, and, Patricia. And you're very welcome. And before we get into it, for fear we run out of time at the end, you want to mention uh, a, an event that's happening on Friday. On Friday the 9th at 8 o'clock in the comprehensive school here in Boherby, um, uh, Kulturlan Macaulive are doing a traditional concert, music, song and dance, highly enjoyable. It's on at 8 o'clock on, Thursday, on, sorry, on Friday the 9th. So okay. Friday the 9th, 8 o'clock. That's this Friday. Okay, good night out for all. Now, you, yeah. want, to, you want to talk about online gambling, gambling, and this yeah. was to do with a recent NHS report out of the UK, but I only spotted this morning the Healthy, what's it called, the Healthy Ireland Survey for 2022, which looks at lifestyle, uh, mental health and other trends. And they look at things like, you know, smoking and, and drinking. And oh, yeah. Pe- I saw, um, I yeah. Saw but, it, yeah. But there was a part in that. Now, it was, you, ha- you had to sort of um, go on to it was a self-selected group uh, so it, it perhaps it attracted people who were suffering from a depression because it was on mental health but worryingly it showed that one in ten of those under the age of 35 who responded had attempted to take their own life so we do have yeah. an issue with young men and suicidal ideation 
We do indeed. And I mean, the figure was startling, wasn't it? I mean, uh, one would not have thought that it would be as high as that. And, um, and there is no doubt but that gambling is one of the issues that can um, uh, lead to that uh, statistic. Now, the NHS in England um, did this uh, survey, um, and the report was startling when it comes to online uh, gambling. And I would imagine that, you know, the the same, um, the, the similar um, uh, figures, percentages, whatever, would um, would apply here, although the actual numbers would be less on account of we have um, a smaller uh, population in this country. But f- f- 42% annual rise in demand for the UK health services uh, gambling clinics uh, has resulted in the health service needing to open another two facilities in England to cope. Now, I uh, correct me where I'm wrong, but I don't think that we have what you'd call a specific um, gambling clinics here. I, no, I don't in, think I've I've never heard of one. I've never no, heard of one. No, but the the what we'll call the rehab clinics. Um, yeah. You know the likes of Brewery, the likes of Arbor House. The but whenever we speak to anyone from any of those centres, you know they'll talk about poly addiction and they'll talk about somebody absolutely. somebody coming in. And, you know for alcohol and it returned out they were also gambling drug also gambling it all seems to go together unfortunately absolutely yeah it's uh, looking for the buzz looking to escape the ordinary stresses of life that we all have uh, in in an inappropriate way um and uh, i've often noticed um you know uh, <laughs> i i hope i'm not out of line saying so but like many a time a pub and and a and a betting office are often very very adjacent, and uh, I've often seen where um, you know guys pop out of the pub and over to the, uh, the the betting office and place bets, and then back to watch the telly on uh, what, what what's going on. Yeah, I can. Anyway, in, I can, um, I can instantly think of three betting shops that come to mind straight away, and they're all right beside a pub. So you there go out, you out one door and into the next door. So they're, right, and they're right. they're obviously strategically placed. Absolutely, I would say that that's not by accident. Yeah. But um, some of the some of the statements on that report with the NHS were um, uh, startling. You know, it said people start gambling as soon as they wake up in the morning. Right. Then people in crisis. In a state of suicide, people are completely desperate who have turned up to um, these uh, gambling clinics in England. And I suppose we would say here, um, you know, treatment centres. Yeah, and Um, I suppose that people are completely desperate if they have lost everything and perhaps, you know, they've lost money that belongs to somebody else or they've borrowed or stolen or the mortgage is going to go they get into such a desperate state that they think the only way out is to end their life I'm, I'm assuming that's the natural progression is it totally yeah. and I mean um, not happening back under one case um, all the time we've mentioned it uh, before because you interviewed Tony that would be Tony 10 in Declan Lynch's book um, Tony 10 um, 
you know, where uh, you know where 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 the the gambling uh, addiction ran completely out of control, and um, where a lot of money was taken. Uh, stolen uh, from the post office where he worked and um, he he finished up in an awful state in the north of Ireland but uh, you know thank God it just shows I mean he's a shining example of that no matter how down the whole situation gets there is a way back and um, he did his time for his crime and he is now uh, completely um, uh, gambling free and uh, free of his addiction and in fact is helping others uh, with, with, the, with that same. And would I so, be right in thinking it's more men than women? Yes. Yeah. Um, that was um, three quarters of patients it said at gambling clinics are men and most are in their 30s. So yeah, and that, that would tie in with that figure from the Irish study. It was, it was uh, people in their 30s, men in their 30s. There you are. Yeah, well. yeah. You know, um, uh, the demographics are bound to be um, pretty much in line because um, our society, in a way, and the uh, UK society, you know, would be um, very akin. Mm. So... Um, the the, the 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 gambling clinics up from 575 um during the same period in 2020 um are up now a 16.2% increase well i think everybody except during the pandemic more people unfortunately turned to gambling and they did it from the comfort of their bedrooms absolutely okay talk to us about the the progression of gambling. When does it go from being a fun little bet on the Grand National to suddenly you're in this desperate situation? Well, I think usually the start is a win um, and and it becomes, wow, easy money. Now, Declan Lynch wrote another book called Easy Money um, um, on the subject. And... Um, uh, you know, a person, uh, a young fella, young woman, whoever, uh, has a bet on something or other. Maybe the one you mentioned, the Grand National. And um, they win. Uh, and, uh, you know, the message is, gee, this is easy money. This is great. And I got a great kick out of winning my bet. So that's the winning of the adventure phase. Now, that's near, well, that is um, in, 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 uh, invariably at the beginning of uh, what can become a problem. Now, I suppose it's important also to say that, I mean, there are people who are able to have a bet and leave it at that, and it doesn't ever get yeah, into and, the and, later And walk phases. away, yeah. But it's yeah, the same. But I, it's the same. Someone can have a drink, and they're not going to become an alcoholic. Absolutely. So the very same. Absolutely. But the next phase then, um, after the winning phase, is obviously the losing phase. And then that morphs into the chasing uh, phase, uh, chasing losses. You know, um, we'll say, for example, with um, all, with these um, games online, I mean, there literally can be a bet every 20 seconds or less, um, so that... Um, uh, you know, one can just, the whole thing runs out of control. And it's like, 
uh, I'm down 20, I'll put on 40. I'm down 60, I'll put on 120. And uh, that kind of thing. And then it becomes um, out of control. And uh, that then, after a period of this chasing phase, can become what we'll call the desperation phase. And that then, in that phase, I mean, anything is possible. And uh, and there you have it in that NHS, um, you know, young men in their 30s turning up with suicidal ideation. And as you said there, quoting the Irish one, it's backed um, up. It's backed up there as well. I know it's just it's 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 shocking. But your message is that there is hope and there is help. There is, and I I would imagine that the 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 best uh, one of one of the best. Now there's gamble aware, etc. Uh, etc. Et but um, I I would have a great graph for the um uh, the the voluntary recovery um uh, organisations like AA for alcohol, NA for drugs, and GA for gambling, okay. where one will meet kindred spirits who have also uh, hit rock bottom from their gambling. Um, now, thankfully, rock bottom can be different from one person to another. I mean, an extreme of rock bottom was, as mentioned, um, Tony Ten, and another fellow might have missed... Uh, one or two um, uh, mortgage uh, repayments and said, that's it, I'm out. And, um, and and if the person found that they had a problem and an urge to go back to it, even in spite of the um, negative effects on their lives. And, of course, it's not all about the money. Um, relationships can suffer. Um, relationships can break up. Um you know, and loved as, ones as can be damaged. As we've mentioned before, of all of the addictions, it's the one that's most uh, hidden until somebody finds out. And it's God, when somebody finds out, the whole sort of pack of cards comes in on top of everybody. Mike in Bantry says, yeah. um, Morning, Joe and Patricia. Every gambler thinks that that next bet, be it on a horse, a, a greyhound race, a match, etc. Everybody thinks, every gambler thinks the next big bet is going to set him or her up for life. The bookmaker doesn't give two hoots about the gambler. They just want their money. And we know a lot of money is made in, in the gambling industry. That's from Mike in Bantry. And yeah. our own, in fairness, our own government is taking this quite quite seriously. They you are, know, but just on Mike's point there, Patricia, the gambling industry in England, um, uh, the profits were... Fourteen billion pounds a year. Unreal. Fourteen billion. Imagine. But yeah, so the government here then um, uh, has set up the new Gambling Regulatory Authority of Ireland, and um, uh, Minister uh, Helen McEntee um, uh, said um, at at the heart of the bill is the establishment of the Gambling Regulatory Authority of Ireland an independent body equipped to enforce regulation of the gambling sector. Um, and and that was um, on the 15th of November and 2022. There's, there's going to be a number of restrictions with that bill, particularly around advertising. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, if I remember correctly, that from, I, is it 5.30 in the morning until 9pm at night, 
that gambling ads will be um, uh, not allowed. It's a watershed. That there would shed. be what we'll call a watershed. Yeah, a little bit like we have them already in place for alcohol ads. You're not going to see alcohol ads in the middle of of children's TV or not before nine o'clock at night and when you look at it we had to event we, we initially put in a watershed but we completely got rid of smoking ads I mean we know that advertising does work so we yeah, need to limit yeah. where and when these ads are, are on and I know social media and again a lot of this really when I was reading up on the, the, the new the new bill a lot of this is really pushed at young people exactly who you're talking about today Joe because they're looking mm. at things like you know social media adv- advertising is, is going to be banned and again they're saying it's the younger people are on social media and they're seeing all of, all of those ads Exactly and I mean the young people are so much more well in my case anyway so much more savvy about all the online you know access to this, that and the other thing online. Um <laughs> I'd be I'd be fairly safe from online gambling because I probably wouldn't know how to quite get uh, into it. Keep it that way. And I know yeah. and other things like, um, which I think was fantastic, uh, credit cards. You, you will not be allowed to bet on a credit card. So at least then if you're betting on a debit card, it's only the money that's in the account, bad as that is. But at least you're not running up debt on a credit card. And I know this is yeah, about. I mean, if you have a high um, uh, credit uh, permission on, on your credit card, um, you know, well, then you can use it up to that uh, credit limit. And uh, and that can be very high. Yeah, and you can have people uh, the having money more isn't than one. Exactly in there. You can have more than one credit card if somebody goes down that <laughs> exactly. route. You know, yeah. okay. Yeah. And a social impact fund that's going to be important. Yeah, although in England now um, they 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 decided they wouldn't be accepting money from the 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 gambling industry as far as I know. But I mean, anywhere that the money would come from uh, that would be helpful in helping people to get over to deal with this addiction um would be would be great um uh, another thing is the sponsorship of clubs by betting companies will be prohibited if the club has juvenile members so there was a time there wasn't there and maybe it still is to a degree i'm not certain but an awful lot of the premiership um uh, teams um in england um, would be carrying, uh, you know, on their shirts an ad for uh, one of the betting uh, firms. Yeah. And uh, uh, that now um, will be banned. Um, uh, uh, Here in Ireland. For, for, yeah, yeah. Here in Ireland. And yeah. children will be banned from gambling premises. Yeah, okay. and, um, and hopefully that will all help uh, going forward. And when we mentioned yeah. Galber- Gamblers Anonymous, 087-285-9552, Okay, always great advice. Next week, we're going to talk about stresses at Christmas. Christmas can be a really stressful time for so many. Looking forward to chatting to you next Tuesday, Joe. Thank you for that. Have a good week. Thank you, Patricia, and likewise to yourself, JP, and listeners. Okay, thanks a million. That is Joe Heflin, who runs a counselling practice in Bohabui. Joe's number is 086.
0818348145. And that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and he would be playing the bells at two o'clock for Christmas covered. So make sure that you write down the number of bells. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.